today we're in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 17. We're going to go all the way through chapter 14. So again, uh, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Exodus 13. This is a portion of Exodus that I have looked forward to for some time now. The title of our study is God Leads for a Reason. This text has much implication for our perspective of life and every circumstance that comes our way. We all know that perspective is everything. You know what they say, and it's very true. You can either see the cup as being what? Half full or half empty. And that view makes a big difference in our emotions, in our thought processes, and the words that come out of our mouth. Perspective impacts our hope. It impacts our expectations. And of all people, Christians should have a perspective of life that is drastically different than everyone else in the world. So the question I'll use to kick off today's study is this. How do you view life? Let's think about that. Not only is our perspective of life worth considering, it's worth considering deeply, specifically, carefully. This chapter and a half in Exodus is going to give us a detailed guide of how to view our life. The circumstances that we see all around us, the circumstances that we see in our homes, what's happening in our, our schools and our jobs, the circumstances around the world. Exodus 15 is a guide for how to see life. And I trust that by the time we finish today, we will walk out of here feeling like we just put a fresh pair of glasses on. And I trust that the clarity of God's Word will be enlightening and refreshing for us and speaking of clarity, I remember the first time I got a pair of glasses. I was shocked to see all the individual leaves in the trees. I could see the leaves, every single one of them. It was breathtaking. And so is life. If we see it through the lens of God's Word, with all of its bumps and bruises, with all of its joys, and with all of its sorrows, life is breathtakingly amazing when we see it through the lens of the Word. We see that God is amazing and that He is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I also mentioned there is a salt starter in your bulletin, even though some of the groups won't be meeting this week, others will. I encourage all of us to use that guide, that study guide, for a little personal reflection this week. This topic of how to see life is too important for us to nod our heads and say amen and walk out of here and soon forget what Scripture has said. And I'm talking to myself right along with everyone here. We need to go home and put the rubber of God's Word down on the road of life. So take a peek at those questions and let God do a good work in your life. And by the way, I believe the, the form has last week's date on it. Does that have last week's date? That is this week's salt starter. That's my bad. I, can't, I can hardly keep track of my own kids' names, let alone with Sunday on. I knew it was bad when I called one of my kids Daddy a few weeks ago. <laughs> that fourth kid really messed things up for me. <laughs> we love it. Let's do pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would come alive for us right now. 
we know that these are more than words. This is God. Because what comes out of your mouth is perfectly true. And not only perfectly true, it is perfectly true to you. And so, Lord, we acknowledge right now that you are with us. You are speaking to us. And, Lord, how we need your perspective on life. We find ourselves so pressed down by the surprises, the, the concerns, the tragedies, the difficulties that we see all around us. And Lord, we also see good things. We see blessings. Lord, what are we supposed to make of these? We want to see life in truth. And that's why we acknowledge our need for your word. Thank you for what you are about to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin in verse 1, ex, uh, excuse me, verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. We're going to look at 19 angles on life, 19 biblical perspectives for life. So if you've got a pen and paper, this is a good time to bring it out. I'll also email these to all the salt groups later today. But this first verse teaches us a very important perspective, and that is that God doesn't always do what makes sense to me. The verse says, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. There was a journey to be taken, there was a destination, and there was a short route, there was an efficient route, and God did not take them that way. I almost titled this sermon, When God Doesn't Make Sense. Gill's commentary, among several others, points out that this trip from Egypt to Canaan, that is the promised land, that's where Israel is headed, right? This trip to, from Egypt to Canaan was only about a week's journey, maybe two at most. Matter of fact, some commentaries say you could travel it in three days' time. Granted, it would probably take a little more for 600,000 men plus women and children, but still, a week or two? If you know what happens later in the book of Exodus, compare those 10 days to the 40 years that Israel would wander in the wilderness. That's not 10 days, that's 14,600 days. I did my math three times to make sure I saw that right. Over 14,000 days they would wander to make a 10-day journey. That doesn't necessarily mean that God wanted to keep them in the wilderness for that long, so much as they had many lessons to learn, and so God had to keep them in the wilderness for that long. But of course, they didn't know this as they exited Egypt. Verse 17 continues, for God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Lesson number two, God knows things about me and my circumstances that I don't know. God knows what's around the corner in my life if I go a certain direction. That's why point number one, He does things that don't make sense to us. Now we know these things to be true. These are basic realities. But it is shocking how easy it is to forget these first two truths. We shouldn't be surprised when we can't figure out why God's doing what God's doing when He does it. 
On the contrary, we should be shocked when we even get a clue. God knows much about our circumstances that we do not know. For Israel, God knew the traps and temptations that lie on the short path to Canaan. He knew Israel's weakness. We have to remember, they were slaves. They were beaten and battered. They are just now walking out of the cruelest slavery those people have experienced to date. They were defenseless. Surely they were emotionally fragile. We're going to see that as as we continue through the account of the Red Sea. If you read through the book of Exodus, you can see this is a fragile people. Before we are too critical and hard on them, we have to remember what they just came out of. But we think about this path along the Philistines. The Philistines were a people of war. And the moment the Philistines see all that gold and silver hanging from the necks of the Israelites, well, we know what's going to happen. This is a recipe for disaster. Remember, the Israelites plundered the Egyptians as they left. The Egyptian people couldn't wait for Israel to leave. They gave them gold. They gave them silver. They gave them clothing. They equipped them for the journey. Undoubtedly, they were blessing them mightily, hoping that their God would return some blessing to them. They just saw the power of Israel's God in this polytheistic culture. They desperately wanted the blessing of the God who just did all the things they just saw. But walking along a a war path for Israel was a suicide. Surely, their survival instincts, instincts would have sent them racing back to Egypt. And one can only imagine what awaited them if they were to come crawling back on the ground to Pharaoh, begging for mercy and a second chance. We already know Pharaoh would love to give them that second chance. But listen closely, that is all just human perspective. We would be very naive and short-sighted to forget that God was quite capable of defeating the Philistines if he wanted to. He could have easily taken Israel on the short path, but God took them the long way for other reasons, for other sovereign purposes, for many good reasons, such as, if you've read ahead, to completely defeat Pharaoh and his army. He was going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Also to give Israel the Ten Commandments, to show them more of his power, to teach them not to complain, to show them that he is their provider. Remember the manna from heaven, the water from the rock. The list goes on. And another one, he was going to exercise discipline on the older generation for their rebellion and their unwillingness to believe. God had many purposes for taking Israel on the long path. God knows things that we don't know, and He is doing things that we cannot see. As Mark said in his his blog yesterday, it is good not to panic if our schedule does not go as planned. The side roads and shipwrecks of life are not a surprise to God. The truth is, He ordains them. Does that fit into our life perspective. Verse 18, Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array, that is, in an organized fashion. Remember, 
there were some million to two million people probably, from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Remember that prophecy from Joseph, who saved the nation of Egypt with his predictions of the dreams and his interpretation of the dreams. It's all, remember, that prophecy from Joseph was some 350 to 400 years prior. Life perspective number three. Some of God's promises to me will not be fulfilled in my short lifetime. That means some of God's promises look like they are not being fulfilled, but they are in God's perfect time. The writer of Hebrews looked back over the history of Israel, and he said in Hebrews 11:13, all these, speaking of the heroes of grace, the testimonies of faith, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Those are incredibly beautiful words. Those heroes of grace, testimonies of faith, knew that the promises were a long ways away. They knew this earth was not their home it was not the last chapter. They knew that the best was yet to come, and that strengthened their faith. Do these truths shape our life perspective? Verse 20, then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Let me just interject. Remember, this is the desert. And sometimes it's better to travel at night in the desert, the cool of night. This is just a quick reminder that we glean more when we study the Word in its geographical context. We understand things that we would not understand unless we put ourselves in their place, the geographical context. God had them traveling by day and night, and it's obvious there was good reason for God to get them out of Egypt as quickly as possible. Verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Lesson number four, God never stops leading. The interesting part of that sentence is the phrase, he did not take away. That is in direct contrast to, he could have taken away. He could have left. Now, we can't read too deeply into this, but one obvious connection here is that Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness not because they got lost, not because they lost God, but because God led them. Lesson number five, sometimes God leads us in the desert for a long time. We find comfort and strength in knowing that he is the one leading, and he leads for good purposes. Now, regarding the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, here's an interesting clip from Barnes' commentary. He said, the Persians and Greeks used fire and smoke as signals in their marches. And in a well-known papyrus, the commander of an Egyptian expedition is called a flame in the darkness at the head of his soldiers. By this sign, then, of the pillar of cloud, the Lord showed himself as their leader 
and general. Interesting. That reminds us of how enlightening, not to mention fascinating, the cultural context of these passages can be. The cultural context. Some of you have been to Israel or to Egypt, to that part of the world. Some have studied these ancient biblical cultures. It all adds meaning. Chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back. I almost titled today's sermon, When God Takes Us Two Steps Back. Have we ever felt like God was losing ground in our difficult circumstances? Although we'd never admit it, perhaps we've thought, God, that wouldn't be progress. Lord, I trusted you. Why is this getting worse? Lesson number six, sometimes God takes us backward for a reason. If we are going to have a right perspective of life, we can't forget this truth. We're going to see that reason for Israel in the verses ahead. Verse 2 continues, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Peheroth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Belzephon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. Perspective truth number seven, sometimes following God will make us look like we don't know what we're doing. Some of you smile because you've experienced this. Maybe you're living it. The truth is, we, we, we probably don't. We probably don't know what we're doing. We probably don't know what God is doing, but we are following God. We are simply, humbly doing our best to trust and obey Him and His Word. Here's the reality. Our financial decisions won't make sense to some of our unsaved family and friends. The way we raise our children will be criticized by people who don't know God. People will call us fools for trusting in someone we've never seen. The list goes on. The truth also is that we will get disillusioned and discouraged if we forget that following God will sometimes make us look like we don't know what we're doing. That's okay as long as we're following God. That's why we have to be in His Word, humbly seeking, earnestly praying, coming together like we're doing today, like the ladies did last night, like the men did yesterday morning. We need God's perspective, and we want to make sure He's the one we're following. That's very important for Christians. As a quick side note, there are a lot of religious bright ideas out there that are not led by God. We know this. There are a lot of religious high horses that ride fast and hard in a direction that Scripture is not leading. Perhaps every one of us has ridden one of those. We need to be sure it is God we are following, and there is only one way to know for sure, and that is to be in the Word of God, seeking the Spirit of God, asking Him to reveal to us what we cannot understand for ourselves. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And praise God, He does that. Every one of us must be avid students of the Word of God. Our life direction depends on it. Verse 3 goes on to say, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Pharaoh's talking about a deadly trap here. 
Lesson number eight, sometimes God sets us up for apparent failure. Lord, do you know what will happen if I do what you're asking? Do you know what this will cost me? God, don't, do, you, do you know? Isn't that an interesting question in the first place? Do you know? As though he doesn't understand. We can't afford to miss the fact that God told Israel to walk into this trap. Sometimes God sets us up for apparent failure. Sometimes he puts us in situations that highlight our weaknesses because that's when he is strong. You know the off-quoted verses in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul said, he, he quoted God. God's answered his prayer. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness, etc., etc. There are marvelous truths in that passage. But let me take you to another well-known passage that captures much of what we've already looked at today. This is Isaiah 40, verses 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Those are the same foolish thoughts that plagued Israel and plagued mankind right into the 21st century. God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't care. Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? Those rhetorical questions imply the absurdity of the thought that God doesn't know and God doesn't care. Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, that rings differently in my ears when I've just read about the ten plagues. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Think back to point three. Those promises may not happen as fast as we like, but they will happen. The time will come when we will run and not be tired. We will not stumble like the vigorous youth. These promises will happen, but they don't always happen as fast as we would like. They will happen, if not in this life, then in the next life, forever. And that's when it really counts, right? Meanwhile, God, God does have a purpose for our trials, and sometimes He leads us right into them. Verse 4, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. We have to notice at this point, God did not say, and I will deliver you, and I will wipe out the armies of Pharaoh. I will protect you, and you will walk out alive. God did not say any of that. All he said is, I will be honored, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Sometimes God doesn't tell us, and you'll get better. Your health will be restored. Sometimes he doesn't say, and the pain will go away tomorrow. Sometimes all he says 
is I will be honored and others will know that I am the Lord. Christian friend, is that enough for our perspective? That needs to be reason enough for us to obey the Word of God, reason enough to trust, reason enough to rest and not fret. I will be honored. They will know that I am the Lord. That should shape our prayers. Lord, help me to have a good day. Lord, help me to get better. Lord, take care of this problem. It's not wrong to pray those things, but how much better, how much more biblical, how much more divine when our prayers begin and end with, Lord, I just want you to be honored. I want the people around me to see and to know that you are the Lord. If that be through my miraculous healing, then may it be so. If that be through my sickness, then grace will be with me all the way. Point nine, God is honored when we know He is the Lord. That takes faith, but can any of us think of a better place to put our faith? A better person to trust? Have you seen someone with a better record? Have I seen anyone with more power? God deserves to be honored as Lord, and He will be. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Point 10, sometimes the trials just won't seem to let up. Sometimes the victory turns into another battle. We've all been here before. Just when we, couldn't, just when we thought we couldn't take any more, and then all seems to be finally working out and another bomb falls. You can think of circumstances you've, you've been through. Just when we thought it was going well, another bomb falls. Look at where this goes, verse 6. So he made, speaking of Pharaoh, he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them camping by the sea besides Piharoth in front of Belsaphon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became frightened. I almost titled this sermon, When Boldness Turns to Fright Overnight. One day, Israel is marching out of Egypt like kings. And the next, they're shaking in their boots. I imagine we can all think of a time when we thought, God is so good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the very next day, it felt like our world was falling apart. And we were in the middle of it, falling apart. Point 11 there will be ups and downs. This is not to limit the grace of God to keep us strong. And yes, as Dave Lunsford taught and reminded us yesterday, we should be getting stronger and stronger by the grace of God. We should be getting more and more mature. This point 
is simply to admit our daily need for God. There are times we will feel weak. Times of desperation will come for every single one of us. Paul learned this lesson in 2 Corinthians 12. He prayed three times and God still wouldn't take the problem away. Verse 11 here continues, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now I read that at first and I thought, praise God, they're finally figuring it out. Pray first. However, if we read the next verse, we come back and we title this verse, Bad Prayer Examples. Verse 11, they cried out to the Lord and then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Let me loosely translate those words into modern English. Moses, were the cemeteries too full in Egypt? Why would you bring us all the way out here just for this? Didn't we tell you Back at the start, weren't you listening when we said, leave us alone so we can serve the Egyptians? Remember, Moses told Pharaoh back at the beginning, God said, let my people go. And what happened? Pharaoh bitterly increased the workload on the Israelites. He gave them an impossible quota for their daily brick making. And the people hated Moses for it. So here they're saying, didn't we warn you? Didn't we tell you? Go away. Leave us alone. Better to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Point 12, a poor perspective will turn bitter. Our poor perspective will turn bitter. We learn here that bitter words and the longing for the ease of the world, think about it, which is no ease at all. At best, it is glorified slavery. The bitter words and the longing for the ease of the world is evidence that one has surely forgotten the power of God. There's another lesson in this last verse, point 13. A poor perspective will draw terrible comparisons. If you've had a really bad perspective on life, you know that your comparison chart gets all out of whack. Better to serve Egypt then die in the wilderness. Guess what? That's true. It is better to serve Pharaoh and the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. But it's not a comparison to live by. Forgive me, but that's like saying, it's better to eat poop than to be hung from the gallows. That's true. But is that the only option? After all God has done, is giving in to the slavery of sin really the only option for us? Are we as Christians really doomed to temptation because we're human? Poor perspective draws terrible comparisons. Verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I almost tied my, titled today's sermon, Stand By and Shut Up. 
Stand by. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses had heard enough. Can we roll up our sleeves for a minute and get down to some deep biblical counseling here? Sometimes it's best for us to just stop talking. Our thoughts, our worries, our comparisons aren't helping a thing. They're making matters worse. We know this, true. We've all been here before. Worked ourselves up into a tizzy. You can just hear the Israelites working themselves up in this conversation. It wasn't just a, oh no, what are we going to do? God help us. It was a scathing, ungrateful, unfaithful slap in the face to Moses and ultimately to God. Were the cemeteries too full in Egypt, Moses? You should have listened to us. That is a shocking response from the people of God. It's stunning that they could stoop so low so soon. It's not like the ten plagues happened ten generations ago. It probably hadn't even been ten days yet since God went through and wiped out the firstborn of Egypt. Such shame, such irreverence, such ingratitude, such a lack of faith. And who was this book written for? Me. You. It was written for us, for our instruction. If we're honest, most of us don't have to look far or long in the mirror to see these same tendencies, these same attitudes in ourselves. It's best if we identify them and repent. If we're on, uh, perhaps we've had thoughts like, I can't believe God let this happen. I would have been better off doing it my way the first time. So this is what I get for trying to honor the Lord, for doing what's right. Did God bring me all the way to this point in life just to leave me here suffering like this? Have we ever asked, where are you, God? What is God's response? Well, one of them is, be quiet. Stop talking. Stand by and watch. I will fight for you. Point 14, sometimes we need to be quiet and watch God. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. I love this answer from God. Where is the entire nation of Israel currently camped? In front of the Red Sea. And God tells them, march into it. Point 15, sometimes God tells us to walk straight into the impossible. This is a remarkable order of events right here. First God says, stand by, keep silent, I will fight. And the next thing it says is tell the whole nation to walk into the sea. I'm telling you, you can't script stuff better than this. Scripture got these stories right. This is far better than mission impossible, amen? Scripture is full of impossible missions if we will look at it carefully. Sometimes God tells us to walk straight into the impossible. Are we okay with that? When he says, love your enemies, 
and bless those who persecute you for my name's sake. Are we okay with that? Do we walk straight into that? When he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Are we all good with that? Do we jump off that cliff? And it is a cliff. Do we jump off that cliff with our faith anchored into God, the only one who can possibly save us? We got to remember that there are times God will ask us to do the impossible. Verse 16, as for you, Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That's when my eyebrows would have gone straight up. Do what? And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. You ever think you had a way out and then you realize the enemy was jumping right in with you? God says, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. I love this lesson, point 16. Sometimes God steps behind us. We're thinking, where are you, God? And he's saying, I'm right here behind you, protecting you from the enemy. This reminds me of the poem, Footprints in the Sand. We look back and we see one set of footprints. Lord, where were you? And he says, what? I was carrying you. God will do whatever he needs. He will go wherever he needs to go to protect us. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. I took this all out of my notes, but I can't pass it up. If you go study this, and I know some of you had, you're going to find every theory under the sun as to how nature blew the water away. I just read one yesterday. It is possible. There are scientists that say there are, there's a certain area in the Red Sea where it is narrow and where the wind does blow so strong and it's only about 10 feet deep. And if it were to blow for approximately 12 hours, it would literally blow that area of the sea dry. But what? That doesn't explain the text. The wall on the right and the wall on the left. Whatever theories you hear about how, even, even I think well-intentioned Christians, about how God could have just naturally you know, caused this to happen like He could any day. No, this is a miracle. There's a wall of water and there's a wall of water. Don't forget that as you hear all the various theories. I've got to find where I was again. Verse 23, then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of Egyptians into confusion. 17, point 17, God does see my problems. 
There are times we, we genuinely think he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't care. He doesn't notice. Think to the Isaiah passage. Where's the justice that was due me? We can rest in the fact that God does look down from heaven and see all things, including my problem. Verse 25, he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. I'm sure there is some scientist out there, some geologist explaining, that's because the rocks are so big down there at the bottom of the Red Sea or something like this. Friends, no. God moved the wheels. Point 18, God is in control of my physical circumstances. It's important to remember this because I think we often subconsciously think that God only gets involved in the spiritual affairs of men. No, He has a hand in my health too. He has a hand in your trip from the home to the grocery store. He has a hand in the weather. He has a hand in the safety of our children. We need to remember that our natural circumstances, the laws of medicine, the laws of science and chemistry and biology, etc., are not in control of us. He is in control of them. Verse 25 continues. So the Egyptians said, let us free from Israel. Remember, they weren't freeing because the rocks were so bumpy at the bottom of the Red Sea. They said, let us free from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Point 19, last point, God will win. Can God's people say amen? amen? That's it. That's all that matters. God will win. He always has the last word, and he always writes the last chapter. Now listen very closely as we end with verse 31. Notice the three-step progression in this verse. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Friends, that's why we can't afford to stop looking at the amazing power and wisdom of God, both in biblical history and in our own lives. It shapes our perspective. It shapes our faith. Like we studied so earnestly last week, it's why we have to regularly tell our children about the power and wisdom of God. It's why we have to tell our children's children all day long at home when we walk by the way, when we come back home, when we lie down at night, the power of God leads to the fear of God, leads to belief in God. 
Oh, that the young generation in this church family would believe in the God of the Bible because they saw His power in us. This is the life perspective they so desperately need and are looking for. It's the perspective that we need and are so desperately looking for. Praise God. He gives us perspective right here in His Word. Let's pray. Lord, you're amazing. We marvel at your hand in biblical history. We realize that you knew things that mankind could not know. You took them places for reasons that were good that they could not have foreseen. And all we can say, Lord, is you are the one true God. You are the Lord. It's why we worship you. Who else has this kind of strength? Who else else has this kind of power, this kind of knowledge, this kind of goodness? Thank you for being a holy, righteous, and all good God so we don't have to fear that any day you might strike us just because you felt like it. You are a good God who has all this power. And because of that, we rejoice. We find confidence in you. We find hope in you. Lord, indeed, it is you and who you are and what you do and what you have done that gives us perspective for today and tomorrow. Our hope is in you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.